Flowing with your presence. So, Lord, if there's pain that we're carrying, it may be just swamped by your love. If there are challenges that we're we're facing, Lord, that we know that we're not going to face them alone because your presence is with us. Lord, our souls are thirsty for you. Lord, fill us to overflowing and and when we're filled, may we find different parts of our lives that we're yet to give to you and open that door that you can come in and fill that too. So there is no part of me that has not been touched by you. Lord, you are the name above all names. You are Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. We exalt you. We lift your name high today. Speak to us. Continue to speak to us. Continue to fill us. Lord, we're thirsty for your presence. And as we open your word and as our young people go for their group, for Sunday streams, Lord, fill us, each one of us that we may not leave here today without being full, full of your presence in our lives, full of your joy and your peace and your love, full of, full of you, Lord Jesus. Because you live and reign in each one of us. My soul is thirsty for you, Lord. is thirsty for you, Lord. For the river of your mercy, for the fountain of your grace, for the everlasting water flowing from the highest place. We thank you. We praise you. ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. remember when you were young okay don't answer that question yet right but you remember all those occasions where somebody would say to you do you know what you want to be when you grow up do you remember that what what were some of your answers back then a teacher an engine driver a policewoman a nurse a milkman? Bigger than me? Oh, bigger than the person you were talking to. Any more? Anybody kind of realize their dream? I'm not putting my, I didn't, you know. You got bigger, that's true. You're still working on that. Pancake evening helps and things like that, but you know. You know, often it doesn't, does it? Like, when I, what do you want to be when you grow up? I didn't say I wanted to be a pastor. 
Apparently, they asked some children what they want to be when they grow up. One kid said, I want to be a dog. <laughs> I guess they probably got a spoiled dog at home, so it uh, sounded like a good idea to me. One child said this. She said, I want to be a politician. And then they wrote after it, I'm responsible, I'm honest, I don't run with scissors, I'm obedient, I'm loyal, and this was the clincher, I don't bite my friends, well except for that one time. Someone else said this, what do you want to be when you grow up? I will want to be someone who gets a girlfriend kisses her, and then rules the world. (laughs) You know, the Bible is full of not answering that question, but full of reminding us that God has plans for each one of us when we grow up. Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Let me read it so I don't mess it up. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This was to the people of Israel as they were in captivity. Thought that God had left them. And God said, "Uh uh-uh, I know the plans I've got for you. I have those plans. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem because you're going to be my witnesses. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I know the plans I've got for my disciples. I know the plans I've got for my world. I know the plans. In Ephesians that we were looking at, chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, the Bible is full of examples and passages that describe that God has a plan for your life and for my life. We've been looking together at why pray. Why should we spend time praying to God? Because God knows all our thoughts. God knows all our prayers before we even utter them. It says Psalm 139, before, before you even have a thought, God already knows. Before a word comes out of your lips, He knows what you're going to say. So why bother praying? He knows it anyway. And we've said three things up to now. Firstly, we pray because it reminds us of our dependency on God. It reminds us of our need for God. Too often, we get to the point in our lives where we think we can handle it. And we say, Lord, I don't need you. We treat God like a consultant. I'll call on you when I need you. But leave me alone the rest of the time. When I need you, you can come and bail me out. But otherwise, just stay, stay there. I can handle it, God. It's fine. But prayer recognizes my dependency on God. Lord, you're the master. You're the leader. You're the king of kings. You're the one. Secondly, we said it grows relationship. You can't grow relationship without communication. We need to talk to God, but also listen to God so that our relationship with Jesus Christ grows and grows and grows. The more we pray, the deeper our relationship can become. It's impossible to grow relationships with people you never see and never talk to. You just can't do it. You know, I'm sure there is... Have you ever done this? Have you ever gone on, on Google or whatever and typed your name in to see who else is out there with the same name? You know, there's another, there's another David Varco in this world. You know? Actually, he's more handsome than me. He's a male model. He is. He's well, he's well beefed up. I was thinking of just putting my head on his body, to be honest, right? But he is. He's out there. I've never talked to the guy. 
I've never met the guy. We share the same name. That's as far as it goes. I have no relationship with this guy. Except I've seen his picture and he may, if he's done the same thing, see my picture online. And thought, he's weird, I'm not going to contact him. Relationship is built through communication. Last week we looked at why pray because God asks us. He's a loving Heavenly Father and He wants to give good gifts to His children. But He says, I'm not just going to give you and give you and give you. You need to come and ask me. And so we need to ask Him so that He can then give us the good gifts that He longs to give. And today, lastly, why pray? We pray because it is through prayer that we can learn how to cooperate with the plans of God for our life. God has a plan for your life and for my life. And it is only through prayer that we can start to understand that plan and begin to cooperate with the plan that God has already sorted out for your life and for mine. Turn in your Bibles today to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Because here it gives us kind of three different essentials for knowing and following the will of God in our lives. How can we know what this will is? How do we, where do we begin in seeking God? From the front, God has a plan for my life. What is it? How can I find out what this plan is? Well, in this passage, we have some keys, some foundations on which to start that quest. Now, the context for this, before we get into it, is Jesus has just been up in Galilee. He's been on the hillside near Capernaum, and he's just done the Sermon on the Mount. So he's just told everybody about what the kingdom of God is like. He's answered all those questions coming backwards and forwards. This is what it's like to be part of the kingdom. And he's teaching up there on that hillside. And there's big crowd, and then it says... In chapter 7, verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all these things that we read about in Matthew, and there's a, a kind of a summary version in Luke just before, it said, he entered Capernaum. Before we carry on, let's pray. Lord, as we read your word, as we think about this encounter, or even not even a, a non-encounter almost between the centurion and Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us about how we know your will. Lord, speak into our hearts and into our lives today. For we long to cooperate with you. We long to learn how to pray more effectively. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's read the first little bit. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. We'll stop there for a minute. Look at the context of this. So you've got this centurion, leader in the, uh, in the, in the uh, army of Rome. And he's got this highly valued servant who's fallen sick. He hears about Jesus and he goes, well, let me go and ask Jesus and see if Jesus will come and heal this guy. He's been healing loads of people, so why can't he do it for me? And so he thinks, well, I'm a Gentile. I can't go to a Jewish rabbi. I can't go there. So I'll call in a favor. Let me get some of the leaders of the people of Israel, his people, his bosses, if you like, his leadership to go and plead the case on my behalf. He may listen to them. So he calls over the Jewish leaders. He has them sent to him. And he says, listen, my servant here is, is not very well. Can you go and get this Jesus fellow to come and bring some healing? Now, the Jewish leaders, well, they wouldn't normally have associated with a Gentile. To do that would make them unclean. He's, he's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. 
We don't mix with Gentiles. It's against, against our faith. We can't do that. It's against our religion. And not only that, he's, he's one of the head of the Roman garrison here. So he's going around doing all these things. He's, he's the oppressor. He represents everything that we want out of this country. Why? Why? But you know what? We'll do it for him. We'll do it for him for two reasons. One is because he loves our nation. You know what? He has the same desires that I have. He's the kind of guy that even though we may be separated by culture and separated by religion, I like him because he likes the things I like. You know, he's an Arsenal fan as well. He's not one of these Spurs fans, you know. You know what I mean? He's like me. So I like him. And secondly, not only do I like him, so we'll go and we maybe help him out, but guess what? He has money. He built our synagogue. You know, he's not, he's not only a nice fella, because he likes the things I like, but he also is a generous nice fella. You know, we didn't have money to build our church. So he turned up. And we kind of thought, well, he's a bit off because he's not really one of us. But hey, money's money. We'll accept. And he built our synagogue for us. I went into a church the other day, like a week ago or so, a couple of weeks ago. There was this beautiful, across the back of the church, this beautiful uh, wooden kind of uh, section that they'd sectioned off the back bit put it in between the pillars it was absolutely beautiful windows and doors and everything else and inscribed right across the top in the woodwork was this has been given by a generous donation from such and such a family and I just thought like this is in a church it should be, this is to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Who cares what family it comes from? Not that we've got money, we'll give this to you, but we want our name up in lights in the church so that everybody forever will be able to thank us and know that we've done this for you. So the centurion is there and the leaders of the people of Israel come and they go, you know what, don't want to cross this guy. We might want an extension sometime. So let's say yes. So even though it was against all of their rules and regulations, they went to Jesus. I wonder how often we would do the same. So he goes to Jesus, or he sends them to Jesus. And they have a talk with Jesus and so Jesus went with them let's carry on and then we'll start seeing some of these essential characteristics he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him Lord don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you now we see a different side of this guy here The first thing that is essential for knowing the will of God is humility. This centurion recognizes his position before Jesus. You know, we think that he's probably just, you know, maybe he's watching Match of the Day, which is why he can't be bothered to go. So he sends these Jewish leaders off. They owe me a favor. Let me get them. I'm busy. I've got other things. I've got other matters to attend to. But no. As we carry on reading, as Luke tells us, it's nothing to do with that. He says, you know what? I don't deserve for this Jesus to come into my household. I don't even deserve to go. I would go. I don't need these Jewish leaders to go and ask him. But I'm not worthy to go and ask him myself, which is why I haven't gone. You see the humility of the centurion? Now, how do we get that kind of humility? You see, humility is recognizing our position before God. That's what humility is. 
Humility is not thinking of ourselves any higher or any lower than we should do. Humility is not thinking of yourself as nothing. That's, that's rubbish. Humility is not thinking of yourself as something. Humility is saying, I am here. This is who I am because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's humility. This is the position I'm in because of where God has placed me. Now, how do you get humility? Last week, I was talking to you about that guy called George Muller, about his orphanage that he started in Bristol. Great man of God. He said this about humility. Somebody asked him the secret of his service. He said this. He said, there was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Muller. I died to his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, and his will. I died to the world. I died to its approval or its censure. I died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And then, and since then, I have studied and worked to show myself approved only to God. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? How do you get yourself in a place of humility? You die. You take up your cross every day and follow Jesus. You die to yourself. You say, I am dead to the world. I am dead to everything around me except knowing Jesus Christ. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to take me from whatever elevated position I think I'm in. And I'm going to throw myself down to nothing. I'm going to die before Christ. And then I'll let Jesus pick me up and place me where he wants me to be. That's humility. Because then you know you're in the place that is not too high and not too low. You're in the place that Jesus Christ has put you. Does that make sense? The only way you can get there is to first take that journey down and die to everything. And say, Lord, I cannot climb into that position. I cannot get myself if I'm too high down to there or if I'm too low up to there. We try, but it's impossible. The only way I can get into that right place is by completely dying to Jesus Christ. So what do we do by that? What do we mean? We mean we continually come to that place where we say, all to Jesus I surrender. Every day he says, you take up your cross and you follow. Every day. Not my will today. Not my desires today. Not the desires of other people around me today. Everything I do today, Jesus, is about you and about you alone. I may well serve my brothers and sisters today, but it's because you're telling me to do that. I may well have nice things happen to me today that, that build me up and encourage me, but it's because you're bringing those into my life. I will do today whatever you ask me to do today. No agenda of my own, only what you bring into my life. That's what it means to have humility. You know, D.L. Moody, do you know about D.L. Moody? He was like the Billy Graham of the 1800s. He was massive, right? He used to have these huge conferences and people from all over the world would come to his conferences. He was like, literally, it was like the Billy Graham Crusades, right? Packed places out. God was amazingly working through his life. And he had these leadership conferences in Massachusetts and he, uh, where he had his headquarters. Thousands of people would come. And he had one such conference where he had uh, leaders and pastors from across Europe came to the conference. And he was there, opening day of the conference, packed auditorium, and he was leading and preaching and teaching. And then at night, all the, uh, the delegates that had come went and stayed in all the student accommodation, because it was like a training school. So they, they, they threw the, kid, the, the training, you know, it was one of the vacation times 
all the students had gone. And so all these leaders were staying in their dormitories. And at night time, after he'd finished praying in his room, Moody went out. And he, he noticed in the corridor shoes placed outside all the dormitory doors. He went, this is kind of weird, like what's going on? And then he remembered from his travels that in Europe, leaders would place their shoes outside the doors of conferences and servants would come and clean their shoes so that they would be ready for the morning. This was the United States. He said, we don't have any servants. I don't even know if we've got any boot polish. What are we going to do? So he called some of his students and other people that were, you know, some of the leadership together, and he mentioned it to them. And they went, I don't know. And he left it at that. That night, Dale Moody went down every single corridor, picked up every pair of shoes. He took them back to his room, and he started cleaning the shoes. He never told anybody about it, but somebody knocked on his door about two o'clock in the morning because they saw the light was on. And they saw him in there with piles of shoes and numbers next to each of the shoes as to which room they needed to go outside. And the person who knocked joined him for the rest of the night. The next day he stood up in front of the whole auditorium and began teaching and preaching without having hardly any sleep. But he spent the night cleaning everybody's shoes who left them outside. That's humility. That's doing something because God tells you to do it. And it doesn't matter if you're the leader of the conference and a Billy Graham, or if you're the janitor that cleans the toilets. What difference does it make if Jesus tells you to do it, you do it. If Jesus shows you how to serve your brother or your sister, you go serve them. That's humility. And unless you have that kind of attitude, unless you have that first and foremost in your heart, you will never find the will of God for your life. God doesn't show it to the proud. He shows it to the humble. We need to learn humility, to die to self. Luke 9, 22, 23, 24, take up your cross daily and follow for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will save it and what we see in the centurion here is a man who understands Luke doesn't start as he does with some other that this was a godly man or anything else but you see from the way he responded here that he is a humble man. He's in leadership, great leadership, great power. But he says, I don't deserve you to come to my roof, my home. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you in public. I know where I am before you. I know who you are before me. That's humility. That's the first thing we need daily in our lives. Every morning you get up, say, Lord, I surrender my day to you today. Did you do that this morning? When you got up this morning, did you first prayer on your lips after hello, Lord? Second prayer, Lord, I surrender my day to you. I take up my cross today and follow you. I know I'm going to church. I know it's going to be nice. I'm going to be with a group of believers and they're all happy. You know, and it's going to be great. But Lord, I don't care. I'm surrendering. You know why you need to do that? You need to do that because if you don't do that, how's God going to use you today? How's he going to flow through you? Maybe today God looked at you and said, you know what? I want to use you to pray for someone else and bring healing or hope or encouragement into their life. But if you haven't surrendered, what's he going to do? You're sitting here going, I'm here for me to worship God. Yeah, praise the Lord. Hey. And God said, no, 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 no. I want to use you today. I want to flow through you today. I want you to be 
have an impact today in other people's lives. I want you to say something over tea and coffee afterwards. I want you to put your, your arm around someone today and give them an encouragement because they need that. Something God's going to do in your life today, but he'll only do it if you surrender. Enough. Let's carry on reading. Second thing is this. He says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. We'll stop there. The second thing is this. It's that first sentence. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Second thing we need after humility is faith. Now, faith has two parts to it. You see both here. Firstly, faith is about trust in the person and the character and the goodness of Jesus Christ. It's answering this question, why would he? Why would Jesus come and help this man? Why would Jesus, with all these people of Israel around him, with the crowds that he's just been teaching on Capernaum on the mountainside, with all the crowds in the city, with all the ill people and sick people in Israel. Why would Jesus come to a centurion's servant and heal him? Why would he? That's the first thing about faith. You have to answer that question. You know, there are many believers that say, well, he wouldn't for me, because who am I? They haven't gone the humility road and recognized where they are. This is one of the problems. The first thing is, why would he? Proverbs, Proverbs 3 says this, verses 5 and 6. Trust, where is it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. He's going to lead you, but you have to trust in him with all your heart. Even when you're understanding, even when the centurion's understanding said, why would he come to me? He trusted That's why he sent people to go and see Jesus. That's why he sent word again and again. He trusted. He trusted in the person of Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about his compassion. I've heard about his love. I've heard about who he is. And I trust in that person that I've heard about. I trust in that person that I know. Maybe for the centurion, know through the experience of others. I trust that person. So I'm going to send people because I know that he's going to come that he will come and do what he says he's going to do because I know he's a man of compassion. He's a man of mercy. He's a man of grace. He's a man that is willing to cross the boundary lines of acceptability and come to a Gentile and bring healing and wholeness because that's who he is. You know, there's passage after passage, isn't there, that we could bring about the character of God. Zephaniah 3, 17 He sings over you because he loves you so much. Psalm 23, he's there with you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 1 John 4, we love because he first loves us. So many passages. And then straight after this one, Jesus raises the widow's son in Luke chapter 7. Luke goes on from this story. And says he's walking along the road and there's this woman from Nain. Her only son has died. He's in the coffin. They're on the funeral procession going to bury him. And Jesus goes, oh, wait up a minute. She's crying her eyes out. This is my future. I've lost my husband. This guy, my son, my only son is the only one that can support me. And Jesus goes, wait a minute. And he goes up and he touches the coffin. Immediately makes himself unclean. Immediately, everybody's looking at him going, oh, you can't do that. You can't touch coffins. Ooh, that's seven years bad luck. Can't do that. And he says, stop everybody. And then he says, son, get out of the coffin. 
get up. And I guess they didn't bang the lid down. I don't know what they did, but suddenly this kid gets up. The woman didn't even ask him. Nobody asked him to do that. It was just within the compassion within Jesus where he saw the scene that he could help and bring healing. That's the Jesus we follow. That's the one we serve. And that's the one the centurion knew about and why he asked. We have faith in the person of Jesus. But the second question is, not only why would he, the second question is, can he? We have to trust in the power of Jesus, the ability of Jesus to do the job. The centurion in that one verse, say the word and my servant will be healed. You see the trust that he had in Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus, you need to say one word and I know what the response is going to be. I know he will be healed. End of story. Because I trust not only in in who you are, I trust in the power that you bring. The power in the name of Jesus. And we need to trust him both in every situation we find ourselves in. Can he? Of course he can. Will he? Of course he will. Because he's a God of compassion and a God of power. He says, you know... Even to us, Matthew 17, if you've got a faith as small as a mustard seed, you can do the impossible. And even at the outset of Luke, when the Spirit of God, when the the angel comes to Mary, and Mary says, how's this going to happen? How am I going to be pregnant and I've not even slept with a guy? What does the angel say? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing, nothing at all. God can do it. And so faith, we need both parts that the centurion had. He sought Jesus and he believed in Jesus' power to heal. You know, God has a plan for you. You learn it through humility. But you also need to trust him. Trust that as he begins to reveal that plan for your life, that he has the best in store for you. That he has the best because that comes out of his heart. Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plan for blessing, plan for a hope, plan for a future. And he has not only that character of wanting the best, but he also has the power to see that plan become realized in your life. And in my life. But it needs to be his plan and not yours or mine. Lastly, he says, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, Do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Let's read the last verse. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The last thing we need is obedience. He says in verse eight, I say, do this and it's done. Go here and they go. It's about obedience. We need to be the same as that centurion had and that centurion knew about when he orders his people around. You see, following Jesus is not a democratic thing. Sometimes we live as though it is. We live as though following Jesus is kind of like, well, I'll listen to your advice, Jesus, but then I'm going to make my mind up. If I like it, I'll go along with it. If I don't, I won't. He's not some kind of consultant that we call in once in a while. Abraham Lincoln once met with a group of ministers for a prayer breakfast. And one of the ministers said this, said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. And Lincoln said this, no gentleman. He said, let us pray that we are on God's side. And that is the issue. 
You remember at the beginning of John's gospel, the first miracle of Jesus, turning water into wine? What does his mother say? Goes to the servants, they run out of Chateau Neuf. What happens? Do whatever he says. She knew right at the outside. Don't listen to his advice and if it seems good to you, go ahead with it. Why not give it a try? What have you got to lose? Uh, she said, listen to him. Listen to every little bit that he says and then put it into practice. Then you'll see what the power of God is like flowing through your life and the life of the party. You see, say we sometimes so often treat God. We sing on Sunday, Hosanna, glory in the highest. We sing about God being the master and the ruler. But when it comes to the decisions of our life, how often have I been guilty or you've been guilty of treating God like a kind of a, an advisor, just giving you a little bit of cool advice to, your, to the wisdom that you already have? True? It's true for me. So I'm sure it must be true for you too. Unless I'm well down there and you're way up here. In which case you need humility. It's true. You see, the centurion understands. And is it ironic what God says, Jesus says? To the centurion who's not even there, he's still at home. He says, I've never seen great faith like this in all of Israel. Who's he talking to? The leaders of the people of Israel, the spiritual elite. And he's saying, do you see this Gentile guy? I've not seen faith like that. I've not seen it in you guys that are supposed to be the ones who have faith. Take a leaf out of this fella's book. Don't just take his money, take his lifestyle because then you'll go far. Obedience is what we need. You know, we got a new magazine out. We just put one together. And in the magazine, there's some pictures about the sanctuary and other things. Take a copy with you after. And then we're going to talk about it at church meeting. But people are coming up to me going like, why, why do all this work? Look, look around you. There's plenty of empty seats. Why do it? We don't need to do these things. We do not need to spend the money to do anything. We're okay as we are. Let's wait till it all gets filled up. If God's actually going to fill it up, then we'll do it. And I'm like, I don't believe these people. We're not doing it because we need to do it. We do it because he's told us to do it. You know the difference? You see, some, some people just look through human eyes. All they can see is what they see around them. And I agree with them. I look around me on a Sunday. Yeah, if we get everybody together for one big service, then we get a bit full. But we split it into four services so we keep the numbers nice and, you know, plenty of empty seats to fill up. It's cool. So it's okay. So we don't need to put balconies in. We don't need to do this other work that we're talking about doing. I understand that, but you're looking through human eyes. You're looking about what you see. You're not being obedient to what he's saying to you or saying to us. And the whole reason when you look in the, in the magazine, I've started off by giving you some of the words that God has given to this church over a number of years. Because it is about obedience and obedience only. It's about following the will of God. Are we going to follow his will? Or are we going to say, no, thank you, Jesus. I know you're kind of like a consultant on the side there, but we know better than you. We know we can see it with our own eyes. We can experience it ourselves. We don't need to do this right now. Thank you for your advice, God, but no thanks. We can handle it. Actually, this is our church. It's not yours. It's really what we're saying. And we do that so often in our own lives. 
to stop. And be like that centurion that says, Jesus, I'm going to humble myself. Jesus, I'm going to trust you for the next stage of the journey. And when you ask me to do something, I will do it regardless. When I know that it's from you, And we have the ability and the wisdom to test out. He said, test the spirits. So you don't just get some random thought in your head and go, this must be from God, I'm going to go and do it. Check it out. The Bible tells us to check it out. By all means, check it out. He loves it when we do that. But when you know that it's from Him, then you have to act. You cannot waver. You cannot get to that point and say, Thank you, Lord. I'm humble before you. I trust you. I know that you have compassion in your heart. I know that you have the ability to do it. But actually, I don't really want to. Thanks very much for the offer. Because the Bible says in Luke, he says, you know what? If you're faithful in small things, I'll give you bigger things. Be faithful in what he tells you to do. Because the more you resist, the more you are disobedient, the harder it becomes to become obedient in the future. And conversely, the more obedient you are in small steps, in small things that he gives to you, he gradually increases the things bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Because he takes you from where you are and he leads you. He doesn't just give you a giant step that seems overwhelming. He takes you and he leads you on a journey of obedience to him. Those are the people that we need to be. Humility, faith, and obedience. They're three incredibly simple things. Simple to say. Really hard to do. Really hard. Challenging for each one of us to make a reality in our lives. But God gives us his plans one step at a time. You know, one of the frustrating things, the board keeps saying, you know, we need a five-year plan. We need a 10-year plan. I say, I haven't got a 10-year plan. I've only got the plan for the next step that he's telling me. I haven't got a 10-year plan for my life. I've got a plan for right now on what Jesus Christ is saying, David, this is what you need to work on in your life right now. And when I've done that, he'll give me the next thing. And the next thing, and the next thing. He doesn't give us a 10-year plan. He'll give you a next step plan. Because that's the way we grow in faith and trust. As we take those steps along that journey with him. And why do I need to worry anyway? He has the plan and it's the best plan ever. For my life and for his church. I just need to trust him. And to follow step by step. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What's the next step in your plan? Do you know the plan God has for you? Could you come up here today? I'm not going to ask you. But could you? And say, you know what? This is the plan. This is the next step that God is asking me to take in my life. Would you be able to do that? If not, ask him. Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is the next step for me? Is there something in my life that's holding me back that you want me to deal with? Is that the next step so that I can move forwards? Is there something I need to be doing that I'm not doing right now? Then show me, Lord. What's the next step in my life? Ask him. Then trust him to give you the power to make that step. The power and the trust that that step is the best step that you can make in your life right now. Because it's the one that he's given to you and he loves you and he cares for you and he only has the best in store for you. And lastly, you need to ask yourself before you even start, am I willing? If he shows me what that step is, whatever it is, Am I willing to take it? Because it's an affront to God if you ask Him and then you're not willing. If 
Jesus reveals to you the step and you say, no, thanks very much. I want to go my way. Then you're throwing him out of your life and out of control and out of being the master. Centurion had amazing faith, which is why Jesus recognized it and said, I've not seen faith like this in Israel. What does he see when he looks into you and me? You know, he wants to bring the kingdom of God in and through you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants that through you and through me and through his church. Are you going to let him? Dependency, relationships, requests, and cooperation. I wonder how often when you pray, you pray about those four things. Is it normally requests and I don't worry about the other three? Do you pray about, thank you, Lord, that I'm dependent on you. Thank you. Teach me, grow me in humility. Keep me humble before you. I give you everything. Lord, grow our relationship as I read your word, as I talk to you, as I listen to you, as I meditate with you. I listen to worship music whatever we do Lord I want to go deeper into you grow this relationship and Lord give me all the gifts that you want to give me show me what you want me to ask from you ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete Lord may I ask for the great things that you want to give into my life and through my life into others And Lord, I want to follow your will. Every day, I'm going to nail myself to the cross so that I follow what you want for me today. Take me and use me as an instrument in your hand for your glory. And Lord, above all, teach us to pray. For we ask this in the name of Christ. 